0: Well, you can join me in opening your Bibles to Psalm 30, and that's on page 461 if you're using a Bible under a chair nearby. And if you don't have a Bible with you, I encourage you to grab one that is under a chair and turn to Psalm 30. Um, And if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you, so please take it. We would love for you uh, to have that. And uh, we'll be following uh, along in this Psalm pretty closely in this time, so it'd be helpful to have this open in front of you. Uh, if you're newer to Zion's Fellowship, and this time we do what uh, many call expository or expositional preaching, which means the goal here is to open God's Word, and, and my task is to expose what's there. So my main job isn't to entertain uh, with stories and insights from my life, but mainly to expose what is in God's Word because we're here to hear His voice and He speaks through the Bible. Um, And by the way, the past uh, three months my family and I had been going to different churches, many of them just friends of mine, pastor friends of mine in the area, and um, I was so encouraged. And so I wanted to pass along my encouragement uh, to you all about God's voice is being heard Sunday by Sunday in so many churches. So, um, I went to Castleton Community Church where Tommy Johnston preached, and College Park where Mark Vroga pe- preached, Chapelwood Baptist with Dan Weller, Lebanon Bible Baptist with Dan Strong, many other places. These are friends of mine. And so I was just thinking, where do I want to go to be encouraged with God's Word? That's what I need in this time. And I went, and they opened the Bible, and we heard God's voice. And so, it was an encouraging time. So, I just want to pass along that encouragement, um, and let's be praying for these other pastors and churches um, Sunday by Sunday as they open God's Word. In fact, let's pray right now, not just for our time, but for theirs. Would you join me? Our Father, we thank You for not being silent, uh, but speaking to Your people throughout the ages through the Bible. Thank you for having this book preserved and that it's inspired by the Spirit, it's breathed out by you, by the power of the Spirit. So we thank you now that we can have open copies in front of us. And we pray not only for us, but for these other churches I mentioned and other gospel preaching and gospel faithful churches that you would do what only you can do, which is to speak by the power of your Spirit through your Word to give life to bring people to faith, to strengthen faith, to encourage your people, and to grow us as disciples who make disciples. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to look at Psalm 30 this morning, and King David wrote this psalm after God brought him through a life-threatening situation. So David in this psalm is thanking God for delivering him from some kind of disaster. And in the middle of the song, we come to some of the most memorable lines in the Bible. Look at verse 5. We'll read the whole thing in a, in a moment, but look at just verse 5 here, at how this speaks of God and our experience in life. His anger is but for a moment, and His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. That is worth writing down and thinking about and memorizing. Um, I did it just this morning, right here. Put it on a note card, put it in your pocket, and live in light of those lines. Kids, if you uh, want to memorize with a parent, do that as well. So, David isn't just thanking God for his personal deliverance here. He's inviting all God's people to join him in praising God because, for all those who have come to trust in Jesus or have yet to trust in him, when you do, then verse 5 is not just inspiring, it's your experience. His anger is but for a moment, but his favors for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with joy. The morning. So as we hear David's story here in this psalm of his own personal deliverance and thankfulness, let's use this psalm to help us reflect on our own personal experience and how the Lord has brought us through many situations of deliverance that should lead to thankfulness. So let's read Psalm 30 together. A psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple or the house. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. And if not, let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night. But joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity or ease, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong, and you hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Well, this has two main parts. In the first five verses, David is singing praise to God and inviting others to join him. And then the second half of the psalm, beginning in verse 6, gives the backstory. So David tells this story of what happened to him that led him to give the kind of thanks he does in the first half of the psalm. And so as we hear this story, many of, many of us will be re- uh, able to relate with David's experience, and that is intentional and wise and good to do. So let's reflect on our own stories as we hear David's story and how God brings us out of sin and suffering and into songs of praise. So, we'll just walk through this in those two steps. The song of praise, and then the backstory of pain that led to that song of praise. So, the song of praise and the story of pain behind the song of praise. So, first, the song of praise. So, David opens this psalm by saying, I will extol you, O Lord. To extol is to honor or to lift up. And so, why is he extolling and lifting up God? Well, he gives the reasons here in the first three verses. Verse 1, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. So, the image of drawing up is like pulling a bucket up uh, in a well bringing water. So David was down in a pit, and God lifted him up, and so now David lifts God up with his praise. God also healed him from some kind of sickness. Verse 2, O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. And then verse 3, David shows just how dire his situation was. He was at the brink of death. Look what he says, O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. So, when David speaks of Sheol or Sheol, he's referring to death. It's a word that sometimes is used to refer to the grave or to, in the Old Testament time, the place of the dead, viewed as this dark and shadowy place. And David was on the brink of death. He was about to go to the pit, but God rescued him and He healed him and He delivered him and raised him up. So far, this is David's personal praise, but it's fairly general, right? Right? doesn't give a lot of specifics here. And I think that's intentional. He does this all throughout the Psalms. There's so many personal situations reflected in the Psalms, but they're also cast fairly generally. And why do you think that is? It's so that you and I can join in on the song. If it was too particular, it would be too distant from us, and it would be just David's song. But David's experience parallels so much of human experience and in a prophetic way, the experience of Jesus in His sufferings and glory, uh, that He writes us in such a way that we can join in this song. And so, He makes it then explicit in verse 4. He invites all of God's people to join in singing. He says in verse 4, you can see it here, sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints, or loved ones, and give thanks to His name. Why? Verse 5, and this is where that memorable line comes in, because His anger is but for a moment, and His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So, His anger is for a moment, but His favor is for a lifetime. When you think about what God is like, what comes into your vision? Do you think of Him more as a God of anger Or more as a God of favor. What is he most deeply like? Is he eager to condemn? Or is he eager to show grace? Well, this verse answers the question. He is most deeply eager to show grace. And David experienced God's anger, but it was for a moment compared to a lifetime of favor and grace. So, what is this like for us? What is it like to have a God who is eager to show favor? Well, the next line, it means that for God's people, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, this is for God's people. Verse 4, David is talking about God's saints, His loved ones, those who, sinners though they are, are trusting in Him for His favor and His grace. And so, this is true of you if you are in Christ, if you are united to Jesus by faith. Your life may have weeping, but it's temporary. Joy is going to be eternal. But if you are outside of Christ, if you are not joined to Him by faith, then that means the opposite is true. It means that whatever joy you have is temporary and will end at the end of this life. And the weeping will be eternal. The weeping, and as Jesus put it, the weeping and gnashing of teeth will last forever. So, you you have a choice. You can move from a temporary joy with everlasting sadness, and you can move from that to everlasting joy, and therefore, any sadness you have is momentary compared to it. Christ welcomes you to trust Him. You don't have to clean yourself up to be a better person to get in on this. You don't have to try to climb out of your own suffering uh, if the suffering is even your own fault because you've made a mess of your life. Uh, If that's true of you, that actually helps you understand just how radical God's grace is for you because He has mercy for you and the mess you've made and the the cause of it being your own sin. He has grace for you. So you bring all of yourself to Him and you trust Him and He removes the condemnation from your life and the eternal suffering that would be on your horizon. It's poured out on Jesus at the cross instead, and then you get joy. And whatever weeping you have is now momentary. And so, for all who are trusting in Christ, this psalm then is your song. You're invited to sing praises to God because this is the kind of God you have. Right? David is saying, sing praises to God. Why? Because this is what He's like. His anger is for a moment, but His favor is forever. And so, this is what it's like for you. Your weeping is but for a night. It may linger, but joy is going to come in the morning. So, very practically, if you are in a time of sadness, there is hope in Christ. Uh, The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just some kind of fact you believe in for a safe eternity that you kind of write down and put in your pocket and bring out when you die so that you can kind of get that punt, the card punched and, and enter into heaven or something like that. It is a real hope for real suffering right now. It means that your weeping may tarry for the night, but joy is coming in the morning. It will come, even if that night is your whole life. Resurrection's coming. And the joy of the dawn of a new creation is coming. And this is our future because of Jesus' death and resurrection and promise to return. And so, maybe if you're a younger person here, um, you have not experienced perhaps as many of these seasons of suffering and sorrow and then joy as some of you in this room who have lived decades and decades and decades, and you've seen the Lord bring you through these many deliverances over and over. So for younger people, I just want to encourage you that when you are in a season of darkness and sadness and weeping, know that it's momentary, and the Lord loves to deliver, and hope is coming. Uh, Christina and I were just talking last night about uh, this reality, and, you know, we're in a season where, like many of us, there's various aspects of hardship, but it's not one of the really dark ones that we've been through. And we've been through some really hard seasons of weeping, some nights of weeping. And it was, it, it was helpful just to reflect in that moment and think, the Lord has brought us through all of those. We're not in one right now. Like, joy has come. He, he does keep doing this. And that's the kind of hope that we need when the dark season comes again. We need to remember He has always brought us through, and He will. And so, the longer we're alive, the more we've seen that faithfulness, doesn't necessarily mean it's easier to get through hardship, but there is a kind of stability that can come. And so I'm, I'm encouraging you younger people in particular, because you haven't experienced those decades yet, to borrow the faith of some of the older brothers and sisters in this room and their stories of God taking you through, and even David's, and know that there is hope. Do not give up. He brings us through. So that's David's song of praise. He's been through some terrible situation, and now he's praising God and inviting everyone to join him, sing it. But there is a backstory to this song. And so that's what we'll see now, the story of pain that's behind the song of praise. So that's the second half of the psalm. It's a flashback. David tells the backstory that led him to this place of praise. Now, as we read the second half, the tense kind of changes, and we're thinking, is this past? Is this present? What's going on here? It seems like it's it's mainly a flashback. He's telling one story, but he's kind of entering into it in different ways here. And so he's alluded to it generally already. He was in a pit. He needed to be healed and so forth. But now he gets a bit more particular because he wants us to hear the particularities here. And he isn't just singing about salvation in general. He's singing after a particular event where he experienced being brought down to a pit and delivered by God's grace. It's one of many in his life. And you and I have many of these as well. Christians know the big redemption story of history in salvation, but there's also many deliverances, many redemption stories in our lives where God brings us through. And so this psalm in particular helps us pay attention to these many deliverances in our lives. And so let's hear David's experience, and then hearing David's will help us think through our own. So he starts with an honest, transparent confession, verse 6. You can look there with me he says as for me i said in my prosperity i shall never be moved now that is i'm convinced not a positive statement the word for prosperity uh, can be translated ease david is reflecting on his life at a point when it was easy he was prospering he was successful And he now has the self-awareness to look back and see what was really going on in his heart and his mind and his kind of posture toward life. He said, I shall never be moved. So life is good. It's going to stay this way. The sun is up and no storm is coming again. I've arrived. And then what happened? Verse 7, by your favor, O Lord... You made my mountain to stand firm, to stand strong. In other words, God was the one who caused me to stand firm and have prosperity. But then what happened? You hid your face, and I was dismayed. So now he remembers that God is the one who gave him the prosperity. God gave him a stable situation. It was God who blessed him. But he was self-confident, he was prideful, he was not honoring and thanking God and continuing to be dependent on God. He was presumptuous and complacent, and so God hid his face, and then David was dismayed. God's face is a symbol of his blessing. Uh, There's this great benediction that God would have the priests speak over the people of Israel in the Old Testament. The Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. I give some form of that over my boys most evenings. May He have it, make His face shine upon you, like the blessing of the Lord's face toward you, but God can turn His face away and remove those blessings as well. And so, that's important for us to hear for a couple of reasons. Uh, One reason is we have all just gone through um, a national, global even, removal of God's outward material blessings in this pandemic. And think about the general tone and attitude before the pandemic. Is there not a pervasive, was there not a pervasive tone of presumption thinking that kind of thing wouldn't happen? Of course, we'll have groceries of course, we'll have health. Of course, the healthcare system won't have any issues. It'll support us. Of course, the economy will be fine. We, we can so often easily slide into this David-like prideful tone. I said in my prosperity, I'll never be moved. I said in my ease, I'll never be moved. Here's a second reason why we need to hear this. Because many of us have experienced a lot of prosperity and ease of life. At least with the Lord's outward material blessings. We live in in an area of ease and prosperity. The homes, the cars, the health, the education, the jobs, the income. We live in one of the most prosperous times and places in all of human history. And so we have to remember two things about prosperity it is both a gift and it's a test. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. The Lord causes prosperity to come. The Lord gives the blessing. And so we receive it with thankfulness. We don't feel bad or guilty about material blessing. It's a gift from God, but it's also a test. Will we receive this from Him with open hands and not close our fists, turn away, and then feel like we've done it all ourselves and it will never be taken away? It's a test to see, will we become complacent and self-focused, Or will we remain open to the Lord and grateful to Him and dependent on Him, knowing that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away? Remembering what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? Right, that same temptation, right? A a blessing, the Lord has given you something, you've received it, and a test. Don't boast as though you didn't receive it. So, David is giving us a moment to reflect with him about prosperity here. Seasons of blessing can lead us to forget God, to become practical atheists. They can lead us to take pride in ourselves rather than continual praise to God. And so, what did God do for David? Well, He gave him a different kind of blessing, actually, right? He removed these blessings from his life. And David was left confused and reeling, but it was for his good, because God was not punishing David. He was disciplining him in love to bring him back out of pride and into trust and true joy in God. So, in order to make sense of what happened here, uh, we have to have a category of God's loving fatherly discipline for His children. So, do you have a category in your mind for that? Experience in your life. If we don't have that category, we'll miss what's going on here and we'll misunderstand God and we'll misread our circumstances. But the Bible says, Hebrews 12 and other places, that God disciplines those whom He loves, which means hard times don't call into question God's love. They can at times be evidence of God's love. This means that He'll allow hard circumstances to come into our lives as an act of love. It may not feel good, but it's for our good, because it brings us to repentance and deeper thankfulness. So, do you have a category for God's fatherly discipline in your life? One way you find out whether or not you have it is if when hard times come into your life, if you get completely dismayed and you think it calls into question God's love, it means you don't have this category, that maybe God is bringing you things as an act of love, either as an act of discipline or for other purposes that you may not know, but it's for your ultimate good. So here's how uh, Ray Ortland explains this. He's describing another time in David's life when David sinned, and the text says God was angry with David, and He disciplined him. So here's Ray Ortland's explanation. It's a bit lengthy, but really helpful. So uh, here's what he says, This means that our Father is not emotionally detached as He grows us up. It means He's emotionally engaged. When He disciplines us, His heart graciously feels fatherly indignation. That's a helpful phrase, right? Not, He flies off the handle. No, His heart graciously feels fatherly indignation, Grief and anger as part of His love. If when we offend Him and harm others, right? So think about times when you've done something offensive to God and harmful for others. If when we do that, God felt nothing but a placid equanimity, could we even trust His heart? He really is connecting with us. The cross removes God's condemning wrath. It does not remove God's disciplining wrath. Condemning wrath sends a sinner to hell. Disciplining wrath prepares a sinner for heaven. God is psychologically complex enough, even human fathers are complex enough, to cherish His erring child and to chastise His erring child, both at the same time, plus more, with the various emotions appropriate to every aspect of the relationship if within the totality of the ways of God with us, He includes disciplinary wrath, then we will want to face that and adjust. Just a bit more. If you have understood the gospel, to be saying to you as a believer, all God ever feels about you is approval and warmth and joy. I don't see that in the Bible. A fuller view of the heart of God might help you account for some of the pain in your life as His love pursues you in a profound way. So, hardship in your life. We need to have a category that it could be God's love pursuing us in a profound way. A way that is complex, but isn't that what we want? Because isn't that life? Isn't that the best of human emotion and experience? not simplistic. So, we need to think about God in terms of the greatest father with his children. A good father loves his children deeply, and as an expression of that can correct. And God does it with infinite wisdom and care and love. Now, here's a clarification. Uh, this does not mean that every time suffering comes into our life, it is because of a particular sin we've committed. Je- Job suffered And it was inexplicable to him, was not because he sinned in any particular way. Jesus came across a man who was born blind, and people said, surely this man sinned or his parents, right? And Jesus said, neither. No, God has other purposes for his glory, for allowing the suffering into this man's life. So, sometimes our suffering is inexplicable to us. God has infinite purposes, but it's not tied one-to-one to to our sin. And we see this at work in James chapter 5, by the way. James is giving um, a letter to Christians, and he writes to these Christians saying that if someone is sick, they can call the elders of the church to pray for them. And listen to what James says. He said… Is anyone sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And then listen to this. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So the assumption here means that if you are sick, one reason could be, not necessarily, but could be because you have sinned, and the Lord is getting your attention to wake you up. And so, by the way, one of the greatest privileges we have as elders of this church is to pray for you when you are sick, and we welcome you inviting us to do that, to anoint you with oil and to pray. And when we do, and some of you have experienced that, and we're so grateful for it, and when we do, we often, or we will, encourage you ahead of time to make sure that you have had time with the Lord to confess any sins to Him or one another that might be present. Not that that's why suffering is in your life, but because it could be. Um, and because we don't just want healing, we want the Lord to bring forgiveness and full renewal. C.S. Lewis put it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is His megaphone to arouse a deaf world. So consider your life this moment. Consider even this season of life for a moment. Is God getting your attention? Are you perhaps experiencing something of what David went through? If so, receive this as an act of God's profound love for you and open yourself up to him transparently. Confess your sin. How do you respond? Well, that's where David goes next, verses 8 and 10. Let's read this together. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. And listen to his reasoning here. What profit is there in my death, right? So he's got, he had a near-death illness, it seems. So, and he's saying, what profit is there in my death, Lord, if I go down to the pit? Will dust, right, my, my dead, dusty body, will that praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. So his reasoning here, he's not just saying, Lord, deliver me because this is awful for me and I want to be happier in my circumstances. He's saying, Lord, deliver me because I'll praise you. In other words, when we pray for healing, let's include, and I know many of you do this, so it's a reminder, or giving you a category if you don't have it. Let's include this category of praying for the Lord to heal so that it would display God's goodness. Pray, Lord, will you heal this person? Will you save this person and give them a new heart? Because that would show you doing only what you can do. That will show your wisdom and your power. If you would answer this prayer, we will thank you. And by the way, this is a, a reason to make sure that we're paying attention when we pray to see the Lord's answers to prayer. So, you know, some of you have some kind of a prayer journal or a prayer list you review. I encourage you to do that. Or uh, at the end of every day, just look, take a glance backward and think, has the Lord answered any of these prayers? And then praise Him for it. Or in the morning, as you have time in the Word and prayer, think back to the previous day. And think, Lord, did you answer any of these prayers that I can give thanks to you for, or even publicly give thanks by sharing it with some other people so that they would thank you as well? Um, So we pay attention to what God does. And so David comes out after the answered prayer in verse 11. He says, You've turned for me my mourning into dancing, you've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. So David even knows, this is why God did it, right? You did this why, verse 12, that, purpose, so that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So that's the story of pain that is behind David's song of praise. And don't you see here then how that story of pain is actually the fuel for this song of praise? as it so often is. So, as Christians, we don't just let the gospel story of redemption fuel our praise. We also let these many deliverances that happened through our lives fuel our praise of God. So, as we step back from this psalm, where are you in the story? What part of the story are you in? Maybe you are where David was in verse 6. You are in prosperity and ease and you're becoming complacent, self-focused, self-sufficient, and ungrateful to the Lord, prideful in prosperity. Maybe you're in verse 7. The Lord has turned His face away, and you're dismayed at life right now. He may be getting your attention to bring you back to Him. Maybe you're in the first part of 7, and you're realizing the Lord has given this blessing, and I'm just thrilled and thankful to Him. Or maybe you're not in this story exactly. Your suffering is inexplicable to you. You have no idea why this is happening in particular, and you long for deliverance. Or maybe you're on the other side of deliverance, and God has brought you through, and you are eager to praise Him right now. Whatever your circumstances are, uh, we come to God as our Father. He's caring for us. We can bring our distress to Him. We can bring our praise to Him. The key is that we bring ourselves to Him. And we pour our hearts out to Him um, with humility and honesty. And let's remember that all of us, no matter what many deliverances we have, we do also have this great deliverance in common. The great deliverance of what we refer to as the gospel. Jesus came to bring that decisive deliverance for all who would trust Him. On the cross, He took the anger of God upon Himself. The eternity of anger, He bore on the cross for us. He experienced the Father turning His face away, and He did this so that He could turn our mourning into joy. His joy was turned into mourning so that your mourning could be turned into joy, not just now, but forever. And so you may still weep for seasons. It may feel like night now or another season of night may come, but what what the gospel gives us is hope that one day the dawn of the new creation will come in its fullness, and joy will be forever, and there will be no more sin or sickness or sadness or sorrow or pain. And this gives us the hope that even in the dark nights, even in the times of mourning and weeping, there is a new joy that can be mingled through it all. Because your wrath has the wrath of God has been removed from you. You have the hope of joy coming, and God by the Spirit is with you in your pit. It is God's love pursuing you, even in your hard circumstances. So as we head into this next week, let's live in light of this reality. Let's not just let this be um, an interesting time in a psalm, but let's, whatever the Lord has been doing in your heart, uh, continue to respond to that, uh, cultivate whatever response He's creating in your heart do that through the week. We're living in a very prosperous era and age, so by God's grace, let's continue to confess our self-sufficiency. Let's rely on God's grace. Let's be generous to one another with what the Lord's given us, and if He brings you down, you don't need to be decisively dismayed. You turn to Him through it all and have joy mingling with the sorrow and joy replacing it in the future. And if we do this, we're going to be part of a compelling witness in this age, won't we? I mean, this is a different way to live. When hardship comes, not to be completely thrown off, but to know that we have a Father caring for us. And when blessing comes, not to be prideful or boastful, um, but to just humbly receive it from the Lord and be generous with it. So having dependence and joy mingled through it all. And so, like David, then, we all have stories to tell. David's telling his story here, writing this song for people to sing. Maybe you have a story to tell. You have stories to tell your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers, and going to tell the nations about the big deliverance of the gospel and the many deliverances in your life. So, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank You for being a God that we can trust and that we can trust has our good at heart. Thank You that uh, You love us in profound and complex ways that help us make sense of the complexity of our lives, especially in the hard and dark seasons. So, we pray that you would continue to give whatever healing and comfort and conviction you need in our own hearts right now and in this coming week. We pray this in Jesus' name in the fellowship of the Spirit. So, let's stand and sing together.